branding precedes marketing. You can't, it, trying to do marketing without branding, you will just find yourself kind of fishing in multiple spots or throwing uh, a stone in multiple places, hoping that it hits uh, exactly where you want it to hit, as, as opposed to having a defined direction of where you want to go that can uh, deliver more long-term success. Welcome to the Guiding Brands Podcast with your host and chief guide, Karen Vick. This is a podcast for service-based small businesses who want to get a handle on their marketing so they can attract and gain new customers. Welcome to the Guiding Brands Podcast with your chief guide and host, Karen Vick. Today's um, podcast, we have a special guest, my friend, uh, graphic designer and brand strategist, Stephen Sued. And Stephen is going to be continuing the conversation that we started in episode five, where we introduced uh, the definition of a brand based on Marty Neumeier's uh, definition. And Marty Neumeier is the author of the book, Zag, the number one strategy of high-performance brands. And before we get into um, this, what I'd like to do is to actually have Stephen introduce himself, talk a little bit about you know what he does every day as a designer and brand strategist. Stephen? Hello, everybody. My name is Stephen Swed. I'm the uh, owner of FourQuarters.agency and the art director at Chapit Studio, where I do work not only as a graphic designer, but as a brand strategist, as Karen said. And um, what we do is help businesses of all sizes from B2B and B2C markets, primarily B2C, so consumer markets, uh, essentially create their own brand strategy from the ground up so that they can remain, so that they can create a sense of relevance within a consumer market or an industry, and at the same time, maintain that level of brand consistency over an extended period of time. Awesome. Wonderful. And I know from... um, personal experience. I mean, Stephen actually developed the um, brand identity for guiding brands. And um, so I, and I've worked with him for years. So we know we're familiar with each other and I'm definitely familiar with, with Stephen's work and these conversations like the one we're having today, we have all the time. So this is just like us just having one of our long talks. So what I'd like to do is to start off by reading um, an excerpt from the book Zag um, that defines where, where Marty defines um, a brand. Um, it was read in the previous episode of the podcast, and I did that because I thought it was a simple definition that can help anybody at any stage in their businesses marketing life um, understand what a brand is. So I'm going to read that now. The new definition of a brand. What exactly is a brand? Hint, it's not a company's logo or advertising. Those things are controlled by the company. Instead, a brand is a customer's gut feeling about a product, service, or company. People create brands to bring order out of clutter. If the word brand didn't exist, we'd have to invent a new one because no other word captures the complexity and richness of this concept. The only word that comes close is reputation. Your personal reputation, like a company's brand, lies outside your control. It's not what you say it is, it's what they say it is. The best you can do is influence it. So I'm going to stop there. Because there's just so much in this one paragraph, you know, um, that we can we can take from this. And with that, I want to ask Stephen, you know, do you agree with Marty's definition of a brand? Yeah, I think he gave a very digestible approach for a, a very digestible definition of of a brand that just about anybody can understand. I think that's one of the greatest things about the brand gap and Zag is that they're very clear and concise to how people understand exactly what a brand is, what's the difference between a brand, a brand identity, and a brand, um, uh, and branding. And they can use it to better understand the interplay between that and marketing. Okay, cool. 
So, well, having said that, um, I actually came up with a list of misconceptions or misuse of the word brand, you know, as it relates to um, building your brand and, uh, and marketing, right? And one of them uh, states that uh, there are a lot of people who believe a brand is just a marketing tactic. A brand is much more than just a marketing tool. It encompasses every aspect of a business from the products or services offered to the customer experience. So can you expand on that, Stephen? Yeah. You know? So I, I would say that branding more than a marketing thing, you could, you could argue that it might be a marketing tactic, but I would say that it's more of a business tactic because I believe that branding precedes marketing. You can't, it, trying to do marketing without branding you will just find yourself kind of fishing in multiple spots or throwing a stone in multiple places, hoping that it hits uh, exactly where you want it to hit, as, as opposed to having a defined direction of where you want to go that can uh, deliver more long-term success. So I think branding is more of a business strategy and a business tactic than it would uh, a marketing tactic. So companies should set out to um, define or understand what their audience needs are um, before they begin, uh, you know, creating any, any brand identity. Correct. And not just, not just the, what their audience is, but also what their position in the market, in the already existing market with their own competitors is. Right. If you try to only look at branding from the perspective of who your customer is, you might be doing more of the work of marketing than you will do branding. You have to also understand who you are in a sea of competitors and the ref and how people will relate you to them and how they will defer you from them. So that is a huge component in and of itself as well. Okay. So um, these days, like I said, you know, the word brand or uh, is 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 thrown around a lot, and it, and it's usually we often hear it linked to influencers or celebrities and um, personal branding. Um, how is that, you know, personal branding and influencers different or is it the same as a company, you know, building a brand? Would you say, you know, it's the same? And do you say you could possibly argue that it's the same? I don't know to what extent it might be different. Here's what I could say, right? Uh, a personal brand is important because people have to have people will have a way of describing you when you're not there and when you when they're trying to describe you to their friends. So if you're if we're talking about a personal brand, who are you to that person and what would they be expecting of you is what might be considered their own brand. When anything is outside of that character, they might look at that as either a failure of the brand or um, something that just doesn't feel genuine. So you've, uh, we've, we've all experienced it in one way, shape, or form where we've seen somebody that we follow and uh, really appreciate, and we start maybe seeing a, a brand deal or something or a partnership with something that doesn't truly align with the values of the, per of the celebrity or the influencer or the, or the persona to begin with, that it starts to feel more like a, a fake or a gimmick or you know something that's not authentic. Um, and you know, people do tend to look at that in a certain, in, in a certain, uh, perspective. And that's, uh, one way that you can do a lot of damage to your, to your brand because it, you know, based on Martin Neumeier's definition, it is a gut feeling. We don't have much control over it. It's essentially what is the reaction that other people have to the things that we do and the things that we say and who we Perception. With. Correct. It's a perception. Okay. And, and, and in the same breath, you know, we can apply that to a company because if you are, uh, and actually further on in this um, section of the book, he talks about, you know, um, the value of branding, you know, uh, and he says, you know, if a brand is a customer's gut feeling, then what's the definition of branding? Briefly, it's a company's effort to build lasting value by delighting customers. And if you are over-promising or promising and not delivering, 
then you can have a negative response and that will still be a brand. Correct. You'll still have a brand. You know, it's not just when a brand does good things or makes us feel good that it is a brand, <laughs> you know, you know, you know, so um, companies have to be mindful of that. Now, you know, one of the misconceptions too about branding is that um, it's your logo. It's, it's, it's that mark, it's that name, you know, that's your, your brand. Can you help, you know, the audience understand why your logo, like, like uh, Marty says, is not your brand and what is it? What is your brand? So what I is think, your logo? I, mean? I think for a lot of people, uh, the logo is probably the, the most visual part of what they consider to be a brand other than uh, the colors, because it's the part that they probably interface with the most, right? When we're thinking about Louis Vuitton, we look at the Louis Vuitton logo. When we think of Nike, we think of the swoosh when, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it's, it's no surprise that so many people tend to look at a logo and think that that is the brand because that is what we use to describe a brand. So when we think about, uh, you know, how do you describe Nike with, well, you know, you might say it's an athletics company, but you might say it's the company with a, with a, with a check mark. Mm -hmm. So we tend to use that as the guiding, uh, as the guide for what it ultimately is. Yeah. The problem with that is that a logo is nothing more than a stamp. It's more nothing more than a signature. It is not meant to be, it's, it's not used to communicate your services. It's not meant to communicate what it is that you stand for, what it is that you do, or anything like that. Sometimes it can be, and that's something that when that is the case, sometimes you may even have a very great logo that can be a little bit abstract and at the same time give a, a little bit of a hint towards what it is that you do. But I think if we try to look at the logo as it being our entire brand, we might find ourselves um, doing a disservice to our own selves or actually limiting what the logo can actually do. The logo is nothing more than a mark, it's an icon. It is not an opportunity for me to look at something and say, oh, that's from this company. But a really great brand is one where it is recognizable without the logo even being present. I can look at, for example, something that might be from Nike Adidas or Lululemon or whatever it may be and be and say to myself, I know that that's from that company because I just know. We might look at us uh, at a, a piece of furniture from Ikea and say to ourselves, we know that that's Ikea because we already know what they stand for. We know what the design is. We already know the materials that they use without having to see an Ikea logo to begin with. Right. And I think last in last week's um, podcast in episode five, I actually uh, stated that your logo is that thing that distinguishes you from your competitors in the market, you know, because if, if you didn't have that mark and you didn't have a strong brand, how would people actually be able to identify you? Mm -hmm. You know, um, we were talking before um, about a brand that existed that didn't have a mark, you know, can you talk a little bit about that? Right. So there was a company that um, we spoke about, which was, uh, I don't remember the exact name, but I, it was essentially the no brand business or something like that. And what it had was just a store with a bunch of different products and the products were just, just ketchup, just mayo, just this or something like that. It might be, it might be, might be confusing it with another one, but essentially the, the packaging in and of itself was nothing but a blank label with Helvetica that said a a certain the, what the product, product was, was. they catch up right right and the the message behind that brand or that company was that we are brandless right we do not use branding to communicate who we are or anything like that we are just a product if you just want to buy the product then just come here and you can buy it. The irony in that is that it does very well, in fact, have a brand because a brand is a gut feeling that we have about a product. Mm -hmm. So if what you are trying to say is that our company doesn't have a brand, instead we are just products, then the brand that you are essentially putting, that you are getting, the message, the brand message that you're getting across is that the products that we put together are more important than the message and than everything else mm -hmm. and that we are just products. But instead, you are the you already have a customer audience, right? Which is people who don't really care about buying branded products, um, and that you may possibly even don't want to uh, make 
your product more complex by trying to add into it, add into a brand. Uh, all this to say that essentially they still have a brand set in place, even though they unintentionally uh, or intentionally were trying to steer away from it. And they were kind of using the the lack of knowledge that people have towards branding to to get that you know, to sell their products. Sell their yeah, products. yeah, because it, it's also it's a it's a statement. It's um, I guess you could say it it bordered on political, possibly. You know, because they're saying they're not the typical brand or what we would think of, you know, when you think of ketchup, you think of Heinz, you know, and they're like, no, we're not Heinz. We're not these big behemoths, you know? So speaking of uh, Heinz, I actually saw an advertisement earlier today or earlier this week that was brilliant, which was even when it's not Heinz, it is because what, and the advertisement was other people using uh, ketchup dispensers and filling it inside of a Heinz bottle because it was that Heinz was the preferred ketchup no matter where you went or where you were throughout the years. And I thought that was just brilliant because, I mean, try to name any other uh, ketchup yes, company no. other than Heinz. You probably won't, maybe Hellman's if anything, but it's not the the poster child. It's not the most famous one. Mm. And it's not the one that people refer to as the ketchup brand. So, mm. Okay. Even when it's not Heinz, it is. <laughs> so... So then let me ask you this, um, you know, we, we work with uh, small business owners or people who are um, wanting to start a company or existing companies that want to improve on their branding, improve on um, their marketing, their presence in the, in the marketplace. And we often get pushback on what we believe or what we perceive from our interactions with our clients as to what it is that they're trying to say. So, you know, what are some of the pitfalls, you know, um, in determining, you know, um, a brand's identity? Because that's your logo is a part of that. As a matter of fact, let's back up. What is brand identity? Okay. I would say that a brand identity is all of the elements that you use to um, to make a piece of, let's say, material or uh, a piece of marketing consistent with who you have been over an extended period of time. So a brand identity would be your logo, the fonts that you use, the colors that you use, um, the tone that you use, what are the, uh, what, how is your well, the tone is actually whether it's casual or formal, but uh, it's it's all of the different pieces that make up how you present yourself in different forms of marketing. Okay, okay. So that includes your logo. It includes the colors that you use in your in your in your color scheme. The typography, yes. Um, the iconography that you use throughout. Yep. You know, well, um, messaging, photography. Yeah, the photography, placement, you know, okay. all of that. So then what are some of those pitfalls that we run into when, you know, having a conversation with, with a client about, you know, creating their brand's identity? The biggest one is that people want their, or try to make their logo their brand. Like we mentioned earlier, they try to add a tagline to further communicate what it is that the brand does. They try to have not just if they you know they almost nobody likes having just an icon uh, every single time that we have a client that we try to communicate um marketing or a brand identity and we want to go with just an icon they always want to have the name and they you know almost always want to add a tagline to further communicate what exactly it is that the business does that is the by far the biggest pitfall possible um other than no, why not do that i mean it's it's their name. So why wouldn't you, you know? I think they're trying to give the logo too much of a job than it actually uh, fulfills, right? So mm -hmm. the logo's job, like we said earlier, is to just clearly just identify for, for in, a, in a very clear sense, who is, who is the, the owner of, let's say, this piece of marketing or this piece of advertisement or whatever it may be. And that's really it. So the ad, it's the advertisement's job to communicate what it is that you do or what is it you are for. 
it is your website's job to communicate that and as on top of that why or how it is that you um how do you fulfill that service and how you are different from everybody else so they like i said they try to make the logo perform too many jobs at once and it just it it it, it, it creates or it makes everything else an afterthought Right. So as long as my logo says everything that I do or shows what it is that I do, I don't have to think about anything else. And then at that point, then we're just slapping a logo on top of some very cliche copy and a photo without thinking about how the photo interacts with the text and how that text relates to the people who are going to listen to it and who are going to read it and where they're going to read it and how they go from reading this piece of text, for example, into, let's say, a sign up for, you know, generating leads or to, sign up for a newsletter or to uh, sign up for a giveaway, right? Whatever it may be. So then I, you know, over the years, I've actually talked about um, companies like Kentucky Fried Chicken, Mm -hmm. um, no longer being referred to as Kentucky Fried Chicken, Mm -hmm. but just simply KFC. Um, AT&T, you'll see their mark, but you don't see Mm -hmm. AT&T you know, because they've become so well known. Right. Uh, but I, I, I sometimes can empathize with that business owner that wants to see their name on their logo because they're not known. They're not a KFC. They're not an AT&T, you know. But there are things like the length of their company name that, call, that falls into this, right, that right. causes you to say, it may not be ideal for you. So what? why not? Why, in terms of the length of their name, would you say it's not always um, good to have that, you know, spelled out along with the mark? Well, I would say that a lot of times we have people who come to us with a name already selected. And the general public is not the greatest at coming up with unique and creative names for businesses. Um, most of the times, most ideas that they come with are actually bad ideas and they go with it because they probably want to put a step forward and just make a decision already as opposed to thinking through it a little bit further so i if people looked at the choosing of your name as a creative endeavor then they probably would be better off right a lot of names that are more catchy have a better opportunity of uh of doing well in the business or in the marketplace than others, right? Coming up with Uber and Lyft was probably a very difficult venture and a very difficult, um, uh, well, a very difficult task or a very difficult process to begin with, right? right? Instagram as well. I believe Instagram, it wasn't originally Instagram. I think it was like Cinemagram or something like that. They had a completely different name. So, you know, this is something that needed to change over time, over time, over time, in order for us to choose exactly, in order for us to choose exactly what the best name was possibly can be. I think sometimes too, as business owners, we're too close to our business. We're clo- too close to our product. It's it's like our baby. And we think that, yeah, we have the right name. And if we don't think far enough down the road to think about how the logo is going to be used. Because if your name is extremely long, how then will you be able to properly mark your business cards or your, you know, um, any kind of printed material that you're you're putting out there? You know. The other thing is that when you're building a brand identity, right? We're not building marketing material, so we are only in step one when we're doing right. a brand identity. So when we create a logo and the customer or the client sees the logo, they're, what they're seeing is just the logo and they're not seeing anything else. So when they see the logo, they're saying to themselves, well, that doesn't really communicate exactly what it is that I do. But that's not the point. The point doesn't begin with. You're talking about step two, three, four, five moving forward, right? When we are communicating, when let's say we're building a website, at that point, you're well, your logo no longer needs to say what is it you do because as soon as somebody logs onto it, it's already should have a message at the very front telling you what it is that you do. Mm-hmm. If you're doing a postcard, the postcard's going to have imagery and text that communicates what it is that you do. So when you get to that point, why is it important for the logo to reiterate it after the postcard or the website already say it? Right. It's because we're in step one and people don't have the foresight most often to see where it is that we're going to end up in order for them to be happy with something that is more subdued. 
I will say though that uh, successful business or successful brand identities do have some uh, do have this set in mind where they might have multiple variations of a logo. One that does include the tagline if they want it. One that doesn't include a tagline and that just has a name. And then one of them where it's just an icon because these logos have to be responsive in different in different areas. Right. When we look at Starbucks, Starbucks had a much more ornate logo before, and then it went down to one that only had Starbucks coffee with the mermaid in the middle. And now you go to any Starbucks, and usually it's just the icon of... uh, Yeah, you didn't see Starbucks. Same goes for Target. Usually you don't see Target, the logo, or the icon, and the name after it. You might just see the the actual Target uh, on top of the the business. So do you have an example of a... um, project that you worked on where you took a client from either having no brand or having a brand and then you you've or i should say having a brand identity mm-hmm. and then you built them into a brand where you helped them to develop into a brand that's that's recognizable yeah we we i mean we've, d- we've done it many times before i think the challenge that we have for the most part is that Business owners always see themselves as though they are their own prime consumer. Mm-hmm. And that although it's great for, you know, for you to build a business where you actually use the product or where you actually like the product, sometimes you have to step away from uh, who you are and who your customer persona is. So, for example, we had this one brand, which I won't mention any names, but um, it was a fitness brand that we created uh, a logo for. And before... It's not that they didn't have a brand identity. They did. It's just that their brand identity didn't allow them to really do much with it, right? So it was a very complex logo that what didn't allow it to be used in many ways, shapes, and forms throughout the marketing material. It didn't have a specific set of brand colors that stood out from the rest of their competitors. The messaging or the typography that was used was not very, uh, was not, versatile enough for different types of marketing, whether it be through web, social media, or print. Um, and that that's kind of the, the first thing that we look at is what is it that your brand stops you from doing? And then how can we change that forward? And then on top of that, how is it that other brands play within the space? And how can we set ourselves apart within reason, right? Because we don't want to just set ourselves apart from, uh, from, a, from other competitors just for the sake of doing it. Sometimes they actually might not have done that for a specific reason, and it makes sense for us to not also not do the same. Okay. So so then you build, so once you, you've developed the identity, then you can build all the other pieces that go along with it. Correct. As uh, websites, your social media um, uh, presence, you know, Correct. how you actually display yourself on social media. And and then you know printed material. If it's a fitness brand, maybe they have packaging for products that they sell. Right. So you got you have to think beyond that. Okay, so that's a brand that you've worked with. What about um, a popular brand out there? Would you? Is there any one that comes to mind for you that you say you know they get it, they get it, and they do it right? If I want to talk about one that does great brand strategy, I would talk about one. I don't know how popular I would say that they are, but they're they're they become more well known, more well known little by little. But there's a company called Liquid Death that sells water. So the water market, for the most part, is been essentially the same, right? You can look at the water aisle, and most of them are different. Some of them might boast about having a little bit more benefits than others, but they're all about refreshing, cooling, or you know, hydration, whatever it may be. Whereas Liquid Death saw that and said to themselves, how can we make this completely different from the current water market that exists at the same time make it more engaging or more fun, right? The reason for the name Liquid Death is because the initial marketing campaign I saw was talking about how water is always used in these not in the, in this nice form where it's serene, it's, serene, it's <laughs> peaceful, it's calm. But they said, no, water is dangerous, right? Water is a tsunami. Water is a flood. Water can destroy your ship. You can die from overhydration, you know, like stuff like this. So it it essentially flipped on something that like, sure, water is calm and serene, but it can also be deadly. And it, it so it used that dichotomy to essentially create a product that was tongue in cheek. And instead of selling it inside plastic water bottles, it sold it in 
metal cans. And it was from the Stone Alps instead of from <laughs> uh, Lagunas or from so, Springs. So it made you think of um, a, a beer in a can or, you know, something like exactly, that. Exactly, exactly. Okay. So they had a very good consumer market, a consumer, a customer persona. They had a very clear one that, you know, probably was interested in trying something completely different. And I've tried the water. Granted, it's just water. <laughs> We're not... Or it's, you know, right, you're not going to be tasting, oh, hints of peach, right, when you're <laughs> tasting your water. Right. But, um, and it's not going to taste like death, I'm sure. <laughs> exactly. But it, it, but think about it from this perspective. If somebody told you, you know, what is your favorite water brand or can you describe a water brand, it is probably much easier to describe and differentiate yourself with liquid death than it is Dasani, mm-hmm. right? What is the difference between Dasani, Evian, Fiji, or... Um, mm-hmm. for Hills. The... All of the bottles have clear, they're blue clear writing. Right. So yeah. somebody goes to a grocery store, get me the, the get me the clear uh the clear water bottle or the blue water bottle or the water bottle that has like a tropical look. You might be there for a while if you're in the water aisle at the Publix or whatever it is, but if you say liquid death, it's the the one that looks like a beer can that's white and black with a skull on it. <laughs> that's the one. I see it. I can see it. They're perfect and it's easy to to kind of stand choose. Out. Right. Stands out. out. Yeah. Okay. Um, interesting, interesting example. Um, so, I mean, we touched on this a little bit, um, before now, and even in talking about liquid death is, you know, how do we connect, um, our brand or brand identity and branding to marketing? Because they're two different things, you know, um, we're talking marketing is marketing, you know? Um, so maybe maybe we should first define marketing you know um marketing is a thing that helps us tell our story right yeah sure so when we think about branding we need to under or a brand strategy we need to think of it as a destination we need to think about it as a compass that is leading us towards a certain uh, direction and uh, this is essentially the same uh aspect i use for the guiding brands for uh for the brand guide or guiding brands is that marketing is then the trail that you take or the steps that you take in order to get there. Sometimes you might take a certain trail and you see that there's some difficulty in there. Maybe your brand is not engaging enough. Maybe you're not getting enough customers. Something is not working. And you need to pivot into a different direction in order for you to get there. But you know where you need to re- where you need to land. Because you have goals set. People. Exactly, exactly. It's smarter goals. It's smarter goals. Not just goals. Smarter not goals. Smart. So goals. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, marketing are is the the multiple efforts to to get your customer to associate you with your destination with your guiding light and by the way this destination you will never reach it it is a much you have a much better um you have a more you'll have a, a more successful company if you try to pick a destination that is never achievable but that is something that you can always strive for this is what simon Sinek refers to as an infinite game right a finite game saying we will be the best in this sector right and the difference between that and, uh, let's say, um, the infinite game is that instead you would say, we will always do better. There's no end to always doing better. Right. There's an end to saying we will be the best. Right. And that is kind of the, the whole right. approach. I believe there was a, it was a travel company or a car company or a rental company. I don't remember what it was. Maybe it was even insurance. Um, there was one company that was in second place in terms of the the uh, as in terms of being a better business and because it never reached first place it just said to itself we're in second place so we always try harder hmm. as opposed to the first place which can probably sit on their laurels a little bit right and that was a apparently a very successful campaign for them now over time they became they became better and better and better and got to and- first place and they started to kind of rest on their laurels and it backfired on them. <laughs> so that is a, a very, very, very uh, clear um, uh, uh, example of how one you have to have integrity with your messaging and fulfill what it is, fulfill your promise, and that there it you can't have a just a destination on that you're going to achieve. You have to continue striving for more. Interesting. Um, okay, so then. So how does your brand connect with your marketing? Um, how, do, how do the two intersect? How can we ensure that, you know, as we consider our marketing goals, 
our ideal customers, you know, how do we then tell our story? How do we use that to tell? So when we think about branding specifically, right? I'll, I'll, I'll speak on the, particularly with branding and marketing. Um, branding is the, is used as an, uh, as a guide for what your materials are going to look like. And marketing is just placing them in the right places, using maybe even maybe even uh, slightly adjusting the copy to make sure that they that they hit the right audience in the way the right way that it should. Right. So there's there's an interplay between creativity here as well that you need between marketing and creative team and a brand team. Right. The brand team makes sure that we are not sacrificing who we are in order to get where we need to go. The creative team is saying, how can we do this in the most delightful way possible? And then the marketing team is saying, how is this reaching the metrics that we actually needed to meet? Are we reaching the people that we need to reach? And how can we adjust to make sure that it does so? So it's a very collaborative effort where the brand team is essentially supervising, the creative team is creating, and the marketing team is executing and then coming back to then re-strategize how we can do this slightly different. And it will even what they'll do with the creative team as well is that you might have different ways of presenting the same message just to see what is more effective as long as it does not sacrifice what the brand mission, the brand values, and the brand purpose is. So that is the interplay, in my opinion, so that as far as the marketing teams that I've been played a part in and the marketing teams that I've seen, that is how it essentially uh, works and how you try to yeah, have it interplay. Because the idea is ultimately to grow your business. Nobody goes into business just to just be pretty, you know, have a beautiful brand identity um, and be talked about. You, you know, you, you want to grow. You want more people to actually um, buy your product. And actually, I'm going to read the, this, this section of, um, uh, from this paragraph within Zag. It says here, I'm going to start over. If a brand is a customer's gut feeling, then what's the definition of branding? Briefly, it's a company's effort to build lasting value by delighting customers. While the formulas for measuring brand value are complex, the goal of branding is simple, to delight customers so that more people buy more things for more years at a higher price. And he goes on to say, Branding also has a karmic side. For example, if a co company promises more than it delivers, its brand will suffer, which will cause the opposite effect. Fewer people buying fewer things for fewer years at a lower price. Companies serve at the pleasure of their customers. I just love that last line because oftentimes I, um, in interacting with clients, um, we get into a conversation with them over, you know, what their customer's perception of, um, of the, of, of their website is, you know, how are they gonna, um, do what they want them to do? And often it's a struggle between them thinking, you know, this thing needs to be black versus yellow or blue. And their, their, their reasoning behind using certain pieces of, you know, colors and text and so on. But they're thinking about it only from what they like, mm -hmm. you know, what they like to see and not what their audience would prefer. Right. So we have to go through this exercise of either creating um, more than one look and feel so that we can A-B test, you know? Right. Or um, we have to often, I mean, listen, our client is our client. And if, they, if that's what they desire we can end up going down that road and test, you know, their hypothesis and then we will learn from it. And more, more often than not, it comes back saying, no, this is not what your customer wants because they're not buying. They're not, you know? Yeah. yeah I think that um, when it comes to what a client wants, when they want to change something, I think that's a very important, it's very important to just define what the goals are when you're in the branding process early on. And one of the things that we find very, uh, we find a lot is that we don't get many revisions on the brand identities that we create. And part of that is because we have a very clear direction on where we're moving forward. 
We communicate what the direction is going to be for the next couple of steps. So by the time we get to the point of presenting a brand identity, we already have a clear guide to say, does this meet the mark that was already established or does it not? And when somebody tries to come in and say that they just don't like the colors and, and that they want to change the colors because they don't, it, you know, it doesn't, they just don't like how it looks, we can then simply ask, does this meet the criteria of what we were tasked to do, right? And at that point, we might, we might um, uh, ascertain whether the client might be either slightly unreasonable or not, which at the end of the day, they are perfectly um, capable or perfectly uh, justified, <coughs> perfectly justified in wanting to take a different approach from the one that we might have created. But they need to understand and know whether that approach really does meet that goal. Uh, and I wouldn't say that that you should try to create as many different looks and feels as possible. It, it's almost it's more like trying to create experiences that don't that look as similar as possible in order to make sure that people are able to acknowledge and understand or see what you are before you even have to tell them who you are. Right. Right. So. One example and a very clear one is how Nike communicates what their brand is and how they present themselves. You see that very thick, italicized Futura uh, that is very uh, a condensed Futura. And as soon as you see it, you say to yourself, that must be a Nike advertisement because you can just see it. And sometimes it's not, but it looks so much like it that you can already tell who they're trying to be. So that that's one way that I would say that's one way I would rephrase that specifically is that a lot of times you want to be try to be as consistent as possible. I once had a mentor when I was in an intern uh, and I remember telling him when I was working at, at this company, it was Hoffman's Chocolates. We were working on, well, essentially chocolates. I was a chocolatier. And I said to myself or I said to him, um, it's so hard to or so it's so boring sometimes to just work on one brand because you don't get to do th different things, right? You're just essentially just trying to do the same thing over and over and over again. And he said, well, you could look at it that way or you could look at it as a challenge because you now have to create something that is just as interesting, just as exciting, just as delightful for a viewer, but you have to remain within certain constraints. So it just becomes more of a challenge. And that, when I looked at that, I reframed the way that I look at branding ever since. And you bring up a good point when you talked about Nike, um, because um, earlier on when discussing uh, a logo and um, having a logo made with without a, a, a any text associated with it, when you see the Nike swoosh, now we know you know Nike is, but but if we weren't familiar with it, just the other elements that they have surrounding it or where they place the swoosh and so on will help us know and understand what they're about. And then it will, it will bring about curiosity so that we want to learn more. And that's what this is about. This is about getting people to actually want to learn more. Yeah. They're drawn Taking in. Their yeah. And, and at the point where we want them to take action, that's when we tell them, you know, we say, you know, click this button, fill out this form, you know, make this phone call or whatever. So, yeah. Um, and I, and I, it's, it's a challenge for us, you know, um, because not everybody is a marketer. I mean, listen, I don't make sneakers, but, but I, 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 I do this because we think beyond just what you're visually seeing. We're, we're, we think, you know, about that customer, that ultimate person who's going to make that purchase and make a decision. And, and that's who we want to influence. So, so yeah. Um, and that, you know, we're coming to the close of our conversation and I, I love the fact that we actually went <laughs> around, you know, we, we went a little bit all over the places. You know, this is, this is what we do. This is our, these are our conversations, you know, and um, I love the fact that we actually, I hope, and, and you out there will actually tell me whether or not we made um, 
this whole idea of a brand um, clearer to you, you know, uh, what your perceptions were of a brand and um, how we arrive at a brand and uh, building that brand's identity, you know, just two different things. And of course, marketing. So is there anything that you would want uh, our audience to know when it comes to brand uh, and branding? Any final thing? I would say uh, trying, uh, and I said this earlier, try not to make your logo the centerpiece behind your brand and really pay attention to how brands present themselves to you whenever you are out there in the world, right? Take a look at the marketing that, uh, or the branding that Target does around their photography. Take a look at the branding around Nike and the products and how they place their logo, how they place their colors, how they place their typography, what the type of voice they may have, right? So the voice of Harley Davidson is completely different from Nike, is completely different from Allstate, is completely different from, let's say, um, State Farm, right? So pay attention to how all of these different companies are presenting themselves to you in a particular in a different way and if you don't feel like they're talking to you try to imagine who it is that they're talking to who it is that they're trying to communicate what are their concerns what are their pain points and see how the messaging that they're trying to get across answers or delivers on a promise that they might find very valuable if you can do something like that you can probably have a better understanding of how your brand either does or effectively or ineffectively communicates its message to your viewers or to your consumers or clients, whatever it may be. And I like that you said that because it actually speaks to something I said in um, episode five where I suggested that the audience actually checks out their refrigerator, go into your cupboard. You know, there are brands, there are things that we use every day, products that we use every day. Or we, when we go shopping, we know this is, this is what we want and we refuse to get anything else, yeah. you know? Um, so, and there's a reason why we make those choices as consumers. And so when you think about your customer and your branding, that's how you need to, you need to consider, you know, this, how is it that that person on the other end, um, how are they going to react? How are they going to, um, you know, uh, make a decision uh, as to whether to choose you versus your competitor? Right. Yeah. There are a couple of books I would recommend to people for read. One of them is, I don't remember the number, it might be 48 or 27, but it's The Immutable Laws of Branding. I believe it was Al Reese who wrote that. Um, the Brand Gap by Marty Neumeier, 100% important to read, and Blue Ocean Strategy. If you want to understand exactly the purpose of what branding is, that will get you much, much closer to a clear understanding of what it is that you're trying to achieve and will allow you to make it so that your creative team and your marketing team can do what they do best. Too many times we have people holding us back. And that is one of the worst things you can possibly do. If I can do one more story, I'm sorry, we had one client specifically who we re I mentioned them earlier with a fitness brand that we recreated this entire brand identity for them. And we were so excited to do something differently and present ourselves differently in this industry. And one of the pitfalls with this brand was that the owner would not allow us to experiment, to experiment with messaging that might, I wouldn't say was considered taboo, but was, uh, much different than what traditional not traditional right that was a little tongue-in-cheek that might have been a little bit edgy a little bit daring right and because that was looked at as too much or too testy she ended up not going forward with that approach and instead took a much safer much more for lack of a better word cliche approach and i believe that that was one of the reasons that that brand brand was not very uh successful and one of the things that you need to understand also is that if you're just starting out, remember you have time. What you do now as a starting brand will be vastly different from what you do five, eight, ten years from now. And sometimes you might look at yourself as like, oh, I can't make a decision like this or I can't try this out 
because it's going to influence who I am five to eight years from now. And I, I wouldn't say that that's the case. Mm -hmm. What you do now when you're starting out, you can, at this point, you can be fast and nimble. You can change direction uh, uh, very easily. It is much harder to do when you have millions of followers right. or millions of customers because what you decide to say, do, or what you change about your brand, now everybody has a, 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 an interaction with that change and they might like it and they might not. But when you're starting out, you have the opportunity to test as many things as possible and see what works and what doesn't. Yeah, because in a sense, when you make a decision to start a company, um, you don't always know exactly who it is that you are exactly. going after. You just start. Uh, who will, you know, resonate with your products and services. Um, yes, you can do the research and and um, identify that ideal customer and uh, build that persona, but markets change too and that can that can influence you know um your your audience as well so yeah adjustments need to be made so thank you steven thank you so much this was this was awesome um gonna have you back again <laughs> thank you for having me no. yeah be back. yeah and um what i'd love for you to do is to share with everybody how they can reach you you know how they can find you um social media handle sure so you can find me at steven.suede suede like the leather steven.suede on on instagram uh over there i post a lot of tips i post a lot of the work that we do currently and uh, it's a great way to communicate with me as well but if not you can also find me on fourquarters.agency we have a um a chat box where you can Schedule a call with me where we can do a 15-minute free consultation with you. Uh, and Chape Studio, where we also do a lot of different um, uh, branding projects and creative projects that you can even hire us to do some of your marketing or some, not marketing, some of the creative work behind your marketing as well. So either one of those platforms is great to communicate with, uh, to reach out to me. Um, okay. So yeah. All right. And um, all those links, all those, all the books that Stephen uh, suggested will be in the show notes and um you know i'm just thankful that Stephen decided to to join me today and the very first interview on this yeah. on the guiding brands podcast so that's all for today and uh we thank you for for tuning in and um please don't forget to subscribe and leave a comment you know let me know how um, this podcast is actually serving you or not, um, we're open to learning all about how we can make this better. Thank you again.